I invite you to turn in your Bibles again to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16, we're looking at this uh, pivotal passage in the Gospel, as you recall from last Lord's Day. This is really a turning point in Jesus' ministry and a very remarkable passage, so we're sort of taking our time Going through these verses, we began looking at verses 13 through 20. Uh, last Lord's Day, we'll uh, pick up in verse 18 this morning, uh, but I'm going to read uh, 13 through 20 since it all fits together as a unit. So let's hear today uh, God's word to us. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, we began looking at this passage last Sunday, as I said, and I want to remind you that here, as in throughout his life, his earthly ministry, Jesus is, is in charge, okay? Jesus is the focus of this passage. We want to remind ourselves of that as we uh, begin looking at this. It is, it is Jesus who, who took the disciples we know, away from the crowds and the critics uh, far to the north. This is about as far north as he goes in his ministry. He's outside of Israel, remember? And he purposely took them there so that he could have this personal conversation with them. And so that's on his mind as, as he's going here, I think. And so he, he sets up this conversation with the questions about what people think about him. But he's, his intent is to lead them exactly to this question of who do you say that I am? You notice his emphasis on that last Lord's Day. And so he lead Simon to, to make this confession, sometimes called the great confession. Yes, you are the Christ, that is, the anointed one, the Son of God, the living one. And so he's led Simon to make this, and really all the disciples, we noticed last Lord's Day, all the disciples have been Coming to this realization, Simon is sort of speaking for them, uh, but uh, they're, they're finally beginning to put the pieces together. Now, we're going to see in the next verses, they don't have them put together quite right yet, <laughs> but they're getting there. Jesus is leading them to that personal knowledge of who he is that is vital, that is crucial for every human being. It's the most important question a person has ever asked, is who do you think Jesus is? 
The answer to that sets, sets the, the stage for eternity, doesn't it? Because what you say in answer to that question reflects whether you are destined for heaven or hell. Where he's led the disciples here, and he's really led us there too. Okay, I want you to remember that. Okay, I want you to be putting yourself in this passage. So you are being asked the question, who do you think Jesus is? And by God's grace, you are responding in unison with Simon here. You are the anointed one, the son of God, the living one. You are king of kings and lord of lords, very God of very God, destined to come again and set up your eternal kingdom on a new heavens and a new earth. So you've been led to this as well. Jesus has pronounced a blessing on Simon. Remember that from verse, uh, verse 17 there? Blessed are you. You're in a state of blessedness. Simon Barjona uses his whole name there, Simon, son of John. So if God has, by his grace, brought you to this confession of faith, you are in a blessed place. Regardless of what's going on in life, in an earthly sense, you are blessed to be in relationship with the anointed one. And Jesus went on to remind Simon and us that it is not our own human intellect that brings us to that knowledge. It's not our own brilliance that led us to recognize that Jesus is the anointed one of God. No, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. We didn't figure this out on our own. But rather, my Father who is in heaven. We, in our ignorance and in our sin, did not know God. We could not, could not come into relationship with him because of our sin and our rebellion, but he has entered into our lives and spoken to us in Jesus Christ. He has revealed Jesus to us. Well, that's where we're picking up. Then in verse 18, and again, we notice the emphatic nature of Jesus' words here. Uh, it's, it doesn't quite come across in, in our uh, English translations. My translation just says, I tell you. But, but the way it's worded in the Greek, there, there's an emphatic I here. So we might better read this. I myself tell you. I am telling you this. Okay, Jesus is saying that, of course, to grab Simon's attention and to grab your attention. Okay, I'm telling you something very important now. This is like you as a parent when you're speaking to your child and you say, I'm telling you, okay. Now, they know you're talking to them, right? These, the disciple already knows Jesus is talking to him, but he's just reminding him. Okay, I'm telling you something here. I want you to, re to be listening. And what is it? I tell you, you are Peter. Now, on the surface, that seems odd. Why is he telling Peter his name? <laughs> but of course, as you notice there in verse 17, Peter isn't the name that his parents gave him. He was named Simon. His father was John. Simon, son of John, was his name. Uh, so where did he get this name Peter? 
Anybody remember? Somebody's got to know this. Some one of you young people, who gave Peter or Simon the name Peter? Jesus. Jesus gave him that name. In fact, the very first time he saw him, if you go over in the Gospel of John, we have that story. We, we don't have it in the Gospel of Matthew, but remember, uh, or do you remember Simon's brother? What was Simon's brother's name? Simon Peter. Andrew. Andrew. And as soon as Andrew heard about Jesus, he went and found his brother Simon. And you may remember from last Sunday, he said, we have found the Messiah. We found the anointed one. And he brings Simon to meet Jesus. And Jesus sees Simon, and he looks at him, and he gives him, well, it's really a nickname. Because Peter means what? If you translate Peter into an English word, it means rock, rock. Jesus sees Simon, and he says, you're rocky. <laughs> you're the rock. But there isn't any explanation given in that encounter. I, I, I wonder, you know, what, what was Simon thinking, you know, when Jesus said that? Uh, it, Jesus doesn't do anything exactly like that with any of the other disciples, it would appear. And he nicknames Simon Rock. And I think it's not till this passage that we find out why. Okay? I, I think this is the passage that tells us why Jesus nicknamed Simon Rock. Now, we have to say, and I, and I think I mentioned this earlier, Simon is anything but a rock. Okay? He is not a stable person. Okay? He, 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 he talks a lot. Okay? He's often the spokesman for the disciples. I think we looked at that some last, uh, last Sunday as well. He's often the one that's sort of saying what all the disciples are thinking, and I think that's what he's doing in this case. In our text, he's, he's professing, he's making a confession that all the disciples share. So he, he's really quick to speak. But he's pretty inconsistent, isn't he? Uh, he has a lot of trouble following through. We saw that a couple of chapters ago where, you know, Jesus is walking on the sea to the disciples and, and Peter's the one, open his mouth right away. Simon says, tell me to come to you, I'll walk on the water too. And so he does for a very short time. <laughs> and then he gets scared, starts to sink. Simon, you'll remember, and of course he remembered this much to his great sorrow. He remembered that at the Last Supper, He's the one that says, Lord, I'll be with you to the end. I'll be by your side. I've got your back. I don't care if all the rest of the guys desert. I've got your back. And, of course, you know, before that night was out, he, he was afraid to confess that he knew Jesus to a servant girl. In fact, three times he, is, he denies Jesus. One time, the last time with an oath. He swears when he does it. He is not very good at following through, is he? He's not consistent. 
It would have been more appropriate to nickname him, I don't know, water, quicksand. (laughs) But Jesus nicknamed him rock. And he tells Simon now, here's why I gave you that nickname. You're rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Now, he uses, there's a, slightly dif, there's a slight difference in the words for rock here that does, doesn't come across in the English. The word that Jesus first uses when he calls Simon rock is, uh, well, it's a stone, okay, a rock or stone, like you could, you know, pick up, you could build a wall with or whatever. The rock that is used when Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, now that is technically, that's a rock cliff, okay? That's the bedrock, okay? So there's a slight difference in the meaning there. Whether or not that that comes across in Aramaic, which would have been Jesus' language of speaking, we we don't know. John tells us that that Jesus calls... uh, called Simon Cephas, which is Aramaic for rock. And we're not sure that there's a different word for, for cliff face there in the Aramaic, but, but there is that distinction, slight distinction made here in our text. But the important thing is, is what Jesus is saying is going to happen for this guy, isn't it? Simon, you've been terribly inconsistent. You will be. Jesus knows Simon's going to let him down when he says this. He, he knows Simon's going to deny him. He's, he knows he's not going to follow through. He, I mean, he's going to have even a problem with consistency after the resurrection, and after he's a church leader. Uh, we're going to see one time where he's really sort of a little shaky about what he believes. But Jesus says, I have something planned for you, Simon. You're going to be the rock on which I build my assembly. Literally, the word there means called out ones. My new covenant people. Okay, remember Jesus is the anointed one prophesied in the Old Testament. Okay, but... He is calling into being a new covenant people who will be not only Jews, but Gentiles, all ethnic groups. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to use you. I'm going to build my covenant people, my assembly, my church, the people, and in other words, not the building, but the people. I'm going to build them on you. And I think we see that fulfilled. We won't take time to look at this in detail. But at Pentecost, remember, the Holy Spirit comes on the believers as they're praying, waiting in obedience to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And which one of the apostles is it that gives the sermon explaining what's happening to the Jews, Jews gathered there in Jerusalem? It's Peter. <laughs> it's Peter who gives that sermon on Pentecost, and 3,000 Jews are converted there. 
A little bit later, it will be Peter and John, also an apostle, who are sent by the apostles as a group to Samaria because they hear that actually some Samaritans have believed in Jesus. And that seems so incredible to them, they decide to send Peter and John up there. Remember, Samaritans are sort of that half-breed, okay? Half-Jew, half-Gentile, they're looked down upon by most Jews. So they send Peter and John up there, and sure enough, Peter and John are there when the Holy Spirit baptizes them. And so, puts his seal on their profession of faith. And in fact... Jesus is going to choose Simon Peter to be the one who is summoned by the Gentile soldier, the career officer, Cornelius, over there in Caesarea. He's going to have, Cornelius is going to have this dream or vision and be told to send for somebody named Rock, somebody named Peter. And so he does, and Peter comes and preaches to Cornelius, this military, Roman military officer and his household, and he doesn't even get the sermon finished <laughs> before they are converted and baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in a very real sense, Peter is used by Jesus with Jews, Samaritans, it went Gentiles, those three pivotal points which people are converted and brought into the kingdom of God. So Jesus is, in effect, giving a prophecy here of that that is going to happen later on. You are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Now we should... We should be careful to note here that this does not make Peter the chief apostle. This does not make him the boss. This does not make him father. This does not give him a preeminent place among the apostles. And there are a lot of passages we could go to that would illustrate this. Uh, For instance, there is the vision that John, the apostle, has in Revelation when he sees the new city of God coming down from heaven, and that city is an image of the bride of Christ, that is, the church, the people of God. And, And John says that city is founded on 12 foundations, which are the 12 apostles. And it has 12 gates, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, it's the corporate people of God as a whole, both Old Testament and New Testament. There, there are other passages like that, that that speak of the apostles and the prophets who are the foundation of the church. So when Jesus says that, see, he is not saying that in some way Peter is head of the church. Still less is he saying that Peter can delegate that authority to anybody else. And in fact, if you read the rest of uh, the accounts of Acts uh, that feature Peter, uh, he figures prominently in the first 15 chapters of Acts, but it's always as one among equals with the apostles. 
So for instance, at that crucial moment when the church has a council in Acts chapter 15, they're deciding a, a vital issue, an issue that is going to change the direction of the church. Well, they don't say, okay, Peter, what do you think? No, it says the apostles and the elders gathered together to consider this matter. It was a corporate decision, in other words. Peter is not making this decision on his own. And in fact, if you go back and, and read the account of that council in, in Acts 15, actually it's Paul and Barnabas who seem to do much more talking than Peter that is relevant to the conversation, to the decision. And it is actually James, the half-brother of Jesus, who makes the summary statement then that everybody agrees to. So Peter doesn't really play a significant role in that decision at all. And he doesn't present himself that way. In 1 Peter chapter 5, listen to how he speaks of himself. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. In other words, I'm addressing you as an equal. That's what he's saying. I'm addressing you church leaders as a church leader myself. And I think he's saying that because he says, I, I hold myself to the same standard that I hold you. I view myself as accountable just as you are accountable. And so he tells them, you know, don't domineer over those in your charge. He doesn't say, now I'm, I'm head of the church, and so you guys, you know, you're head of your two little churches. No, that's not what he says. Don't domineer. In, in fact, he says, there is one who is the chief shepherd. And it's not me, Peter says. It's Jesus Christ. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this isn't giving uh, Peter a, a place of preeminence among the apostles, but it, but it is, I think, reminding us an important truth about Jesus. Remember I said this passage is about Jesus, and he's the subject of that sentence, right? On this rock, I will build my church. Jesus will build his church, he's saying. Jesus is the one who calls out those from the world and makes them his disciples. Jesus is calling today. He's calling out his people out of the world to make them his own. I will build my church. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to grab hold of that and hold on with both hands. Your salvation, your ultimate salvation, your growth in Christ, everything you do as a believer does not depend on you. It depends on Jesus. You catch that? Jesus doesn't say to you, now I'll, I'll die for your sins, but you better shape up. Okay? I'll give you some grace to be saved, but if you, don't, if you don't work hard and keep that grace, forget it. That's not what Jesus says. He says, I 
will build my church. Christ is working in his people to create that heavenly city, that people of God that John sees in the book of Revelation, that perfected people, that beautiful spotless bride of his. Jesus builds his church in a very real way. You need to grab hold of that and, and remember that. Okay, don't think of the church as belonging to me because I'm pastor or belonging to the executive committee or the deacons or somebody like that. Okay? The church is the body of Christ. It belongs to him. He builds it. And because of that, okay, on the basis of that fact, comes the promise you see the connection here? I will build my church, and what's the promise that flows out of that? The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Okay. Because I build the church, because I call a people to myself, because I say I'm going to redeem them, because I say I'm going to perfect them, not even death itself is going to overcome them. That's what he's saying there. Hades here is a word that is synonymous with death and the grave. That's a way of saying that anything the world can throw at you, if you belong to his church, if you're a member of his body, if you're a part of the bride of Christ, nothing that this life throws at you can overcome you, not even death. You are a conquering church. Now we're going to find out in the next part of our passage, you're also a suffering church. So that's not saying you've got a cakewalk. That's not saying everything's going to go smoothly. You're going to face trials. Some of you are facing trials and difficulties right now. But you have the guarantee of Christ, the promise of Christ... Because of what he does, you will not be overcome. That's the confidence you have as a believer, as a people, as a church, to do his will. Okay, there are times when to be obedient to Christ is going to go against what the world says. It's going to go against what your peers say. Truth be told, it's going to go against your own sinful nature. But you have the freedom to do that which pleases God because he is building you into his people. He is the one who makes you a conquering people and not even the gates of hell, the gates of Hades shall prevail against it. And it goes on, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The imagery there may well be from uh, the Old Testament, the imagery of a king, a master of a house, giving keys to his steward who manages his affairs and who works under his authority. That may be the image here that Jesus as the Lord, as the master, is giving to his uh, apostle here, the keys of the kingdom of heaven to act as a steward. And again, 
Notice this is, this is not saying that Peter is singled out in that. Okay, we're going to, in fact, just right over in, in chapter 18, uh, we're going to look at some of this same language in terms of binding and loosing, where it is clear that Jesus is speaking of the congregation as a whole being given this. So Simon Peter is an example here of that which which Jesus is doing for his church. He is giving his church, his people, the keys of the kingdom. You have the keys to the kingdom of God. And that key, those keys are the gospel. You have the good news concerning Christ, that in Christ, God is saving a people for himself. He's taking their sins, and he's placed them on Christ, and he has suffered the wrath of God for those sins, and he has taken the righteousness of Christ and clothing sinners in that righteousness so that they might be brought into his presence. You have that good news, that gospel that is the key to the kingdom. That's how you get in. It's through repentance and faith. And we've already mentioned, you know, Simon will have that wonderful privilege of preaching that gospel and seeing thousands of people respond to that call. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, our, our English grammar isn't quite getting this the way it comes across in Greek, literally, and it's probably not worded this way because it sounds rather awkward, but literally what Jesus is saying here is, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And you can see how the, the tense would seem a little awkward there in, in English, but you, you need to understand that, that order, Okay. Jesus is not saying that I'm giving you an authority here on earth and I'm just going to rubber stamp that in heaven. No, it's actually just the opposite. He's saying you as, as my people ha have a binding and loosing to do that is a calling to pe people to repentance and an extending of forgiveness to them. I think that's what's in view here. We'll see that more in detail in chapter 18. You, you have that authority to call people to repentance. I mean, after all, you're just a sinner too, right? What, what right do you have to call anybody to repentance? You're a sinner yourself. And what right do you have to say anybody's forgiven? You, you can't forgive sin. You're not God. Well, how do we do that as a people? How do we call people to repentance and say, in Christ you have forgiveness? Well, we do it on the basis of what has been done in heaven. Okay, you see that? Our, our, our ministry is done on the basis of what God has accomplished in heaven already. So when you call somebody to repentance, when you call yourself to repentance sometimes, which I hope you do, you do that on the authority of heaven, not on your own authority. When you believe that Christ has forgiven you of your sin as you've repented of that sin, you do that not on the basis of your feelings, 
Not, not on the basis of, of, of your opinion. You do that on the basis of the word of God. You have an authority that is heavenly, I believe Jesus is saying here. Wonderful promises that God is giving to you as his people. You have these wonderful promises. Are you making use of them? Are you making use of them? I mean, perhaps you need to back up a little bit and answer for the first time that question, who is Jesus? Maybe you haven't come to that point yet. Maybe you've not yet said, Jesus, you are the anointed one. You are the son of God, the living one, and I am signing up under your command. Maybe you need to start there first. Okay. Remember that, that call, by the way, is not an invitation so much as it is a command. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I'd really like to be Lord. I'd really like to be the anointed one. I'd, I'd like to be sovereign over you. If you would just give me permission. <laughs> That's not what he says. He says, I am the Lord. I am sovereign. You owe me obedience. And because you have disobeyed me, you need to begin right now with repentance. And acknowledge me as your Lord. But if you've done that, if you know Jesus as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, because God has opened your your closed mind, because he has, he has taken away your heart of stone and given you a living heart. If you know that truth, then claim these promises here in this text. Christ is building his church in and through you. You're not called as a lone-range believer. You're called as a whole company of those who are called out. There are people in the church, if you're a believer, there are people in the church, in this church, that need your ministry. They need your prayers. Okay. They need your encouragement. They need your help. Maybe occasionally they need your rebuke. <laughs> we all need that sometimes. Take the promises of this passage and put them to use. Say, Jesus, I believe you're building the church and I believe you can even build it through me. Show me what you want me to be doing. Okay, even you young people, I'm, I'm including you as well. Okay, you children and young people. Start at an early age asking, Lord, how am I your tool in building your church? I want to be in on it. I know it's your work. But I want to be on it. I want to have the joy of being used by you to build your church. Well, our text ends in a strange way, doesn't it? Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he is the anointed one. They just got there. <laughs> Simon just got to the point of making this confession, and Jesus says, don't talk about it. Well, we're going to find out it's because they really 
don't understand exactly what it means for Jesus to be the anointed one. And we're going to get into that in the next verses. They, they've got the message of triumph. They're going to need to get the message of suffering as well. But we'll look at that next Lord's Day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are the one who is calling into being a people for yourself, that in this, in this earthly realm, in time and space, you are creating a kingdom made of people who belong to you. And the kingdoms of this world are going to pass away. No country is going to last forever. No nation is going to exist forever. But your kingdom will. And what a blessing it is then, Lord, to be, to be called into your kingdom. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your promise that you are building the kingdom. We are not, we are not able to do this on our own. So we depend upon you for strength and for guidance. Uh, we, we depend on one another and the ministry that we share with one another. So help us, Lord, to be, to be seizing these promises and seeking to live as your obedient people, confident that as we repent of our sins, you extend to us forgiveness. As we set our hearts to obey you, that you give us the grace to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.